Hello again, everybody, and welcome to a very delayed new episode of Kid Kong at the Movies. I am once again your host, the one and only Kid Kong, and I am joined again today by Cal the Kaiju Guy. How are you doing today, Cal? I'm doing well, you know, just got off work and uh, drove home just to let the dogs out, let them do their business, and then I let them just kind of run around the house for a little while, and I was like, oh, well, all right, boys, back in there, because <laughs> I have big dogs, and they're destructive, and I do not trust them to be out of the kennel whenever I'm not around. No, I wouldn't either, <clears throat> and that's not a slight on your dogs. It's just, as you said, they are big dogs. When big dogs get rambunctious, things get broken. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I know that when we did the last episode we did was way back around Halloween and we did the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Uh, and I had said at the time that I was going to be taking a couple weeks and then my next episodes were going to be beginning with Lord of the Rings. I have delayed that thought for a multitude of reasons. I've Dating back to issues in my personal life that caused my last hiatus, they are still very much the same thing. So I have kind of been dealing with some shit and I have been gone for a few months. I'm going to try and do an episode every couple of weeks just for my own mental health sake to give myself something to talk about and something to look into. In fact, that's actually, you had mentioned that to me. He's like, had you considered getting back into the swing of things for that reason? And I told you, I was like, I'd actually begun taking some notes here and there, just giving myself the motivation to get all the notes written out was what was taking a while. Well, I'm not trying to, you know, toot my own horn or anything, but I just knew from my own personal experience. I, I can't remember if I've talked about this on, on your show. I know I've talked, mentioned it a few times on mine. I, I really talked pretty deep about it with um, an episode I did with the passing of Jason David Frank, but I suffer from depression and have suffered from depression since I was about 12 years old. Um, <clears throat> it gets pretty rough at times. And whenever I started my podcast, uh, the Kaiju podcast, like I, I found that just doing that helps me tremendously. Like it just gives me things to look forward to. And now mind you, like that's probably part of the reason that, um, you know, be it, I don't want you people to think that I like, I'm, I'm on the verge of death on, on a daily basis. And the podcast is what keeps me alive, but you know, like, that coupled with um, my attention span being very limited at times and uh, and all of that kind of stuff, you know, I shell out at least two episodes a week, possibly three. Yeah. So, you know, so I, I, I invest a lot more time into my podcast than you do yours or um, Caleb that we've had. Yeah, out of, the, of Caleb's company you know, cinema. Yeah, uh, you know, like I, I, I easily dedicate the most time to it. And yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, it helps me. And so whenever you was texting me that other day, um, the things that you were texting me, that's why I was like, have you thought about jumping back into it? Like maybe it can help because I know it helps me. It definitely made the last two days go by better researching this because, uh, instead of doing Lord of the Rings, which I am still planning on doing Lord of the Rings, it's just, I want to get the notes for all three films done before even filming or recording rather the first episode. Simply because I don't want to get the first episode out there and then lose motivation halfway through taking the notes for the second one and it take another month or two before that one would come out. So what I did instead was I covered a little bit of a safer uh, movie franchise this time around. I went with the Mighty Ducks, uh, which 
for those of you who don't know, I believe we may have mentioned it on my show before, but Cal and I are both hockey fans. In fact, he's one of the only hockey fans I have met since I moved to Central Louisiana. You were the only hockey fan <laughs> I've ever known in my time of living in Central Louisiana. So. And, I, and I really appreciate you not <laughs> holding it against me that my favorite team is the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm very, just uh, as long as it wasn't Detroit. I think that was one of the first <laughs> things we said to each other, was that we hated the Red Wings. You're like, all right, I like you. This will be all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was like, if we don't get along with anything else, our mutual hatred of the Detroit Red Wings will be enough to bond us. That'll do. Like, <laughs> so, but being lifetime fans of that, you know, the Mighty Ducks was one of the main initial causes in my fandom of hockey. It really was. Um, I was six years old for the first time I ever saw the Mighty Ducks, the first movie. And at the time, we were living in Washington. I was enamored with that. I wanted to play hockey. You live up near the Canadian border, hockey's a genuine option. Told my mom I wanted to play hockey. This was immediately like a, a concern because between the rink time, pads, skating lessons, everything else that was going to go into this, back in 1995, this would have cost my mother nearly $900. Hockey is not a cheap sport to get into. No. Um, so, so any of you listeners that uh, you know were ever thinking about that, like, just know what you're getting into. <laughs> like, it's yeah. it's a very it can be a very. I mean, at the end of the day, any sport for any child can end up being expensive. But hockey is one of the ones that's well up there and yeah. all of that. But you know, like, and there's so much more that goes into hockey. Like, you know, I tell people like here here in the states, everyone's like team NFL football and all that. And don't get me wrong, I love me some freaking football. I watch football. All day long, college, Same. college or NFL and everything. But you know, people t sit there and talk about uh, how tough NFL players are and football players are and all that. And I just sometimes I look at them and I'm like, Have you ever seen a rugby match? Like, <laughs> because I've played rugby before. Like, because those guys do virtually what football players do and do it with 95 percent less padding. The and only <laughs> thing that I will give that, like, when people try and immediately jump to rugby being that much tougher. The problem is there are more injuries with football than there are with rugby because when you play rugby, you're aware that you don't have that padding on. So you are, while you still will absolutely truck some people, you're more cognizant of that and you're more protective of that. Whereas with football, with how much pads you have, people are a little more likely to just go ham when they hit. And honestly, hockey's the same way in a lot of regards because they're padded from head to toe. Oh, yeah. But they'll get going upwards of 60 to 70 miles an hour on that ice. That is not a joke. That is not a generalization. Uh, Ted Irvin, who played for the Winnipeg Jets for years, played in a charity game in his 50s and was still capable of getting up to 56 miles an hour on the ice. And don't it, let's not even, like, well, no, we're, let's jump into it about how fast that puck can go. 130 miles an hour with a good, with, with a a good, good slap shot. shot and everything. Uh, there was a guy... I can't remember what team it was. I can't even remember the player. But I remember watching the game where the guy came out in the first period and he took a slap shot to the face. Direct oh. slap shot. Hit him like right in the mouth. Busted his lip wide open. I think he lost a tooth and all of that. So he leaves for the remainder of the first period. He's completely absent for the second period. Finally, he's like, I'm good to go, you know, because like, hockey players were tough ah, and all that kind of stuff. He goes back out there for the third period. The The audience is like clapping. They're all happy to see him and everything. He gets out there uh, for his shift and starts playing, takes another slap shot to the face in the same exact spot. 
And he's like, you know what? I'm done. And <laughs> so he, he went, he, he was like, I'm done playing <laughs> for, for the day. <laughs> but like Cam Neely, who was predominantly more known for being, you know, an enforcer, he had a, a slap shot that was measured at 103 miles an hour. Like it's, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. And people will take those to the face. There have been people that have gotten a skate across the throat before. Like that has been diagnosed. Okay. A more recent example, Damar Hamlin, who played for the Buffalo Bills. He took a hit to the chest and he suffered a cardiology a cardiological event during that. Same thing happened 25 years ago in the NHL. Dude took a slap shot into the chest and collapsed. Like he had heart failure from that. Like hockey is not any kind of thing to be taken lightly. And it's just it's just not. And you have to have a lot of respect for the people that play hockey and I I wanted so badly to play Unfortunately, because of our financial situation growing up, that was not an option. So my mom got me into wrestling instead because all she had to do with wrestling was get me $15 pair of shoes. There was a a mixed martial artist one time. Uh, I can't remember what promotion or what his name was. Maybe maybe you'll know. Um, Like they asked him, they were just comparing like the toughness between sports or something like that. And they asked this MMA fighter, like, uh, how do you think you would do against like a professional hockey player? And he was like, are you serious? And they're like, yeah. He's like... They do what I do, but they're on skates. Steve Bowles, like, who actually yeah. played hockey. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, I, I, I don't want any part of, an, of a hockey player. <laughs> that was Steve Bowes, who actually did play hockey in his native Toronto, not for the uh, Maple Leafs, but still. I'm so. a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, by the way, guys. <laughs> At least you've won a handful of Stanley Cups in your lifetime. Uh, five. <laughs> Whereas the last time that the Maple Leafs won one was in 1967, the last time they even went was in the 80s and they got swept. I'm, I'm not trying to rub salt in the wound. I'm, I'm genuinely not. Aren't they currently in the longest drought they are. for a Stanley Cup? They're in the longest drought for a Stanley Cup, and they are la- the last of the original six to not win a Stanley Cup in the modern era. <laughs> Look, no, they got a chance. It. If not this season, next season. They've been... We, we've discussed that before. They have been in a rebuild for a, quite a while, and they are finally getting to the point where they're actual playoff threats now again. So, well, yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, and I'm not trying to make a joke, but I'm being serious. Is They need to get past that first round. Yes, they do. Because it's I, a think, mental I, think, I think it's to the point right now to where like it's such a mental thing that every time they go to the playoffs, like the first round rolls around, and they just get – I mean, and they'll go to a freaking game seventh. And then, like, they, they get eliminated and everything, and it's just one of those deals. It was kind of like with the Washington Capitals. You know, they had never won a Stanley Cup and all that, and any time they would face the Penguins in the playoffs, it was just a mental thing for them. Like, we cannot get past the Penguins. Yeah. And then, sure enough, the year they finally beat the Penguins, what do the Washington Capitals do? Go on to win the freaking Cup. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I wish they would have gotten over this freaking hurdle back when they still had Phil Kessel. But as long as they don't lose Austin Matthews before, like I, I'm, I'm, it's gonna be hard for me to stomach if they lose him, if he leaves because he can't take the culture anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, luckily Austin is, he's young. He is a very valuable player and all that, and I'm sure that the Maple Leafs are sparing no expense to keep him oh, yeah. on their roster. Oh, but yeah. you, okay, like 
me, me and Chris could talk all day about sports and all that kind of stuff. We have a topic to get to yeah, today. At least we are tertiarily connected to. <laughs> We're said talking topic. about hockey at least. Yes. So, <laughs> so let's let's go ahead and I and because of the nature of the films and the production and everything, we're covering all three films today. Uh, the first Mighty Ducks movie came out in 1992. It was directed by Stephen Herrick. Now, Stephen Herrick was better known at the time for directing Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but he's also done Critters, Mr. Holland's Opus, which is one of my personal favorite films, uh, Life or Something Like It, and Man of the House. That's the one with Tommy Lee Jones where he plays the Texas Ranger and lives with all the cheerleaders. It was written by Stephen Brill, who, as a writer and director, has covered quite a few things. Solely as a writer, he wrote the franchise uh, for the Mighty Ducks. So he was involved in the writing on all three, and he actually ended up suing Walt Disney Corporation over royalties that he believed that he was due. I'm all about somebody suing Disney. He also uh, wrote Heavyweights, Ready to Rumble. I freaking love Heavyweights, dude. You notice how many people are in Heavyweights that were in the Mighty yeah. Ducks. Yeah, there's a reason for that. Uh, Ready to Rumble, which is quite possibly the worst wrestling movie ever produced. Shut your mouth. Oh, I love it. I freaking love it. I love it, but it's terrible. (laughs) And uh, Little Nicky, while also having directed Mr. Deeds, Without a Paddle, and Drillbit Taylor. The production company was the Avnick Kerner Company, which that company has also uh, produced Fried Green Tomatoes, uh, The Three Musketeers, George of the Jungle, both Inspector Gadget 1 and 2, the Smurfs franchise, and most recently, Clifford the Big Red Dog. I like Clifford the Big Red Dog. It was made on a budget of $14 million, and it pulled in a surprising $50.8 million at the box office. Uh, if you've never seen the movie, the general synopsis is a big-shot lawyer who was a former hockey standout, gets a DUI, and he's forced to coach peewee hockey as part of his community service, and he rediscovers himself and his love for the game with these children. Wow. <laughs> it's a Disney formula, okay? It really, truly Wait, is. What? Court of law is going to be like, oh, sir, you've shown great, like, irresponsibility by getting a DUI and all that. So, you know what you're going to do? We're going to put you in charge of children. Not only that, like, not only that, but this was like his third DUI yes! in the context of this yeah, movie. Yeah, like, tell me it's a feel-good family film without telling me it's a feel-good family film. It was like, distributed by the Buena Vista Pictures Distribution Company and, of course, by Disney. It was a surprise hit. It not only... Did it bring in $50 million? It spawned a massive multimedia franchise, which included several sequels, an animated TV series about anthropomorphic alien ducks, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, There were rides at Disneyland in Anaheim, and it even caused Disney to buy and start a legitimate NHL team. We will talk about that more later as well. Mighty Ducks 2 came out in 1994 was directed by Sam Weissman. Now, Sam Weissman uh, was the director for George the Jungle and Dickie Roberts' Childhood Star. Uh, it was the same writer, producer, and distribution company for this. Now, Mighty Ducks 2 was made on a budget of $16 million and pulled in $45.6 million. So it was still, financially, it was successful. Uh the whole the idea behind this film is that the original team and the coach are chosen to represent the junior the United States for the junior Goodwill Games. Think of it like a junior Olympics kind of thing. Why they chose all but four of these players to come out of Minneapolis, I could not tell you. But they're joined by other players from around the country and they face the big bad Icelandic team during the course of this film. Bombay, the coach, you know, loses himself again with the money and the endorsement. Because, you know, God knows there's a lot of that in, in junior hockey. 
and eventually finds himself again, and they become the Mighty Ducks once again instead of being the you know Team USA, which is what they were supposed to be. Uh, critics absolutely hated the second movie. Hated it. They weren't f- terribly fond of the first movie, but at least they felt that the first movie had some good value as a family-friendly kind of thing. They just couldn't stand the, se- the second one at all. However, audiences still loved it. I'm a big fan of part two. Yep. Like, like we said before we even start recording, it's up in the air for me. D2 or D3, which one I like more. D1 is easily my least favorite of them. But yeah, I, I like, I really enjoy D2. And then, of course, D3, The Mighty Ducks. Came out in 1996, and that was directed by Robert Lieberman, who directed Table for Five, Second String, and the 1996 miniseries Titanic as well. Part three was made on a budget of almost $14 million, but it only pulled in $22.9 million at the box office. The Ducks were running out of power on this one. Uh, In this one, the, the, the team gets scholarships for a preparatory academy. They get a new coach. They're dealing with fierce rivals that are the the upperclassmen. Audiences, again, they liked the movie. They thought it was stupid, harmless, good fun. Critics were a little harder on that, and I'll I'll get to that here in a little bit when I'm talking about that. Uh, Yeah. So we're going to talk about the cast for the first movie, and I will note whether they were in the second and or third movie as well. But then I'm also going to get to the second movie and the third movie as well, and we'll go from there. Uh, Gordon Bombay, the head coach, is played by Emilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez, of course, one of his earlier film roles is in Apocalypse Now, but he's probably best known for films like The Outsiders, Breakfast Club, St. Elmo's Fire, basically the the Brat Pack movies. But he was also in Maximum Overdrive, the Young Guns series, Stakeout, and uh, probably a little lesser well-known, but still just as well-known as being the brother of Charlie Sheen and the son of Martin Sheen because he chose to use his birth name instead of anglicizing it to try and get out of ethnic-sounding roles. Emilio Estevez was in Apocalypse Now? Emilio Estevez is in Apocalypse Now. As who? He was in the very, very beginning. He was a soldier. Huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Only in it because his father (laughs) was in it. Boy, I was sitting there racking my brain like, uh... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The character of Hans, who only appeared in the first and third movie, was played by Joss Ackland. Now, Joss Ackland is still alive. He's 96 years old. Um, of course, he was in the 1952 Ghost Ship movie, as well as in David Copperfield, movie Villain, per- uh, Penny Gold, Little Prince. He provided voices in Watership Down. He was in The Hunt for Red October. And probably his most well-known appearance was in Lethal Weapon 2 as the foreign diplomat with the diplomatic immunity, which it's actually because of Lethal Weapon 2 that he was not able to do Mighty Ducks 2. Uh, the coach, Jack Riley, who played the opposite coach for the... Uh, the Hawks, I believe it was, mm-hmm. was played by the late Lane Smith, who passed away in 2005. Uh, Lane Smith was in The Last American Hero, Rooster Cogburn, The Original Red Dawn, Weeds, My Cousin Vinny, Son-in-Law, and The Legend of Bagger Vance, but he's probably more known for being Perry White in Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, which starred Dean Cain and Terry Hatcher. Did you ever watch that? I don't discuss that show. <laughs> it, do, it does not hold up now at all from a gra- uh, an effects standpoint. Smallville still holds up fairly well. Uh, this, you can tell when it's a green screen when they're flying. And they ended it on a cliffhanger. I believe they ended it 
on that cliffhanger because that that series was coming out around the same time as the actual death of Superman. But we're not going to get off on that tangent because if we do that, we'll talk for a half hour about I'm it. I'm a diehard Superman fan in case you guys were wondering. Yeah, so, no. <laughs> the character of Mr. Duckworth, who is Gordon Bombay's boss, was played by Yosef Summer. Yosef Summer was in Dirty Harry, The Stepford Wives, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Hanky Panky, Bullworth, Patch Adams, the other guys, and he played the president in X3, The Last Stand. He's had some things. Now we get into some of the players. Charlie Conway, number 96, is played by Joshua Jackson. Joshua Jackson has probably had the most, well, probably the second most, actually, extensive career of the child actors that were that played the Ducks. I think Keenan Thompson probably hasn't beat. But Joshua Jackson was in Andre. He was in Magic in the Water, Scream 2. Yeah, Pupil, Urban Legend, Cruel Intentions, The Skulls, Gossip, Lone Star State of Mind, Cursed, Shudder, He's been in a lot of goat direct-to-film movies or direct-to-DVD movies and things like that. Um, Television-wise, he was in was it was he in Dawson's Creek? Uh, I've never seen Dawson's Creek. I believe know. he was in Dawson's Creek. I don't think he might have been Party of Five, but I think he was Dawson's Creek. Fulton Reed, number forty-four, one of my favorite players in the whole franchise, was played by Eldon Henson. Now, Eldon Henson's first role ever was in Jaws: The Revenge. He was a kid at the frickin' park. Like, I wish y'all could see the grin Cal has on his face because we're both very fond of the Jaws franchise. And I know that Jaws the Revenge gets a lot of crap, but I'll watch Jaws the Revenge all day, any day, before I'll watch, uh, watch Jaws 3. Mm. I <laughs> yeah. But he was also in The Mighty, which is a television movie adaptation of Freak the Mighty, which I actually enjoyed that book when I was a kid. She's All That. He was in Idle Hands. He was in Castaway, Under the Tuscan Sun. The Butterfly Effect, Hunger Games, but he's probably best known nowadays for being Foggy Nelson in the MCU. Greg Goldberg. That's from Daredevil, for those of yeah. you that don't know the name off the top of your head. Greg Goldberg, number 33, was played by Sean Weiss. Now, Sean Weiss has been in Heavyweights and the Mighty Ducks movies, but pretty much his the rest of his career, when he's not stunting it with his own personal issues, uh, he, he had a multiple episode run on King of Queens, Freaks and Geeks, and Las Vegas. Jesse Hall, number nine, who was in movies one and two, and we'll discuss why he wasn't in three in a little bit. So by Brandon Adams. Brandon Adams, in addition to being in this uh, the franchise, was in Moonwalker, The Resort. On television, he was in A Different World, Moesha, and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But his other big movie role that he might be known for is The Sandlot. Fun fact, The Sandlot was filmed in my hometown. I never knew that. It was filmed in American Fork, Utah. <laughs> yep. That's pretty cool. I found that out about <laughs> two years ago, and I'm like, so we have Footloose filmed a mile and a half away from where I grew up at the Lehigh Roller Mills, and now we have The Sandlot filmed in my hometown. <laughs> That's freaking cool. Lewis, the limo driver, was played by M.C. Ganey. M.C. Ganey's been in a lot of different things, usually playing a thug or otherwise like a, a henchman-type character. He's in Starman, The Fan, Meet the Deedles. The Haunting, uh, he was in Country Bears, Terminator 3, Club Dread. Probably the ones you're going to recognize him the most for is he played Swamp Thing, the con that would pilot the plane in Con Air. And he was also Sheriff Roscoe in the Dukes of Hazard movie. He had shaved his face and had short hair for that. Lester Averman, number four, was played by Matt Doherty. Now, Matt Doherty uh, has been in Boston Public Felicity, uh, the unit in ER as far as television goes, but films-wise... It's either Mighty Ducks or 
Argo, he was in for a minute. He was in Home Alone. He was one of the kids uh, that was in the family. And then So I Married an Axe Murderer. The character of Carp, who was only in the first movie, was number 11, was played by Aaron Schwartz. Now, Aaron Schwartz was in Heavyweights as well. He played the, the lead kid in that. He was in Third Down. And he was also in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. He was the facial like motion capture recognition for the young uh, ego, which, of course, that is Kurt Russell. He's also in Pete and Pete and Gossip Girl. Guy Germain, number double zero, was played by Garrett Ratliff Henson, who is Eldon Hansen's younger brother. He was in Arachnophobia, the 1990 Captain America movie, Radio Flyer, The Adventures of Huck Finn, and in Casper. While as in TV, he was also on The Charmings. Character Connie Moreau, number 18, was played by Marguerite Moreau. Now, I've talked about her once before, way back when. Uh, she was in Free Willy 2, Wet Hot American Summer, Mighty Joe Young, Beverly Hills Chihuahua, and the movie that I talked about her before was Queen of the Damned. Uh, Adam Banks, number 9 for the Hawks, and eventually 99 for the Ducks, was played by Vincent LaRusso. Apart from the Mighty Ducks, his only role he has done ever was in superhero movie. That's it. He's been riding those Disney royalty checks for, for Mighty Ducks. And you know what? Good for him on that. I can't nope. say boo about that. Nope. <laughs> Lastly, Terry Hall, number one, who was Jesse's younger brother. This is the only movie he was in. Was played by Juicy Smollett. He, he, he got himself in some hot water that we're not going to really talk about. But, like, he was in North, uh, the, the Skinny, Ask Me Anything. Probably best known for being on Empire, the television series. But he also was in Alien Covenant. He was the one who got stabbed in the shower with his wife. Uh, and then, of course, Tommy Duncan, number two, was played by Danny Tamborelli. He was in Igby Goes Down and Adventures of Huck Finn. But he is probably best known for being one of the two titular Pete's on Pete and Pete, as well as being in all that. Kind of seems like Disney, either one way or the other, either Disney's poaching a lot of Nickelodeon stars or Nickelodeon poached a lot of Disney stars. I'm not sure which. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, in numbers two and three. This is movie characters that were introduced in number two and that may have continued on to three or not. Uh, Michelle McKay, who was the like tutor for them because they were supposed to still be in school, who also moonlighted as their coach for one of them, was played by Catherine Irby, who was in What About Bob? Breathing Lessons in Three Backyards. However, television-wise, she played uh, Shirley Bellinger, who was the woman on Death Row in Oz, and she was also on Law and Order Criminal Intent for six years. She played Vincent D'Onofrio's partner. Don Tibbles, the guy who was the founder for the Team USA, was played by Michael Tucker. Michael Tucker was in Vampire, Hill Street Blues, L.A. Law, Day One. Growing up, Brady and Cold Souls. The character Jan, who was supposed to be Hans's brother, was played by Jan Rubisch, who died in 2009. He was in quite a few things, including the Amateur, Utilities, Witness, Cold Front, anything, uh, Amityville Curse, and the Burial Society. Wolf, the dentist, Stanson, who was the head coach for Iceland's team and who had played professionally for Iceland until he got, you know, fired for punching his coach in, in the context of the movie. Played by Karsten Norgard. Now, Karsten Norgard was in Fruit Machine, Managerist, the Highlander TV series, Soldier, and in Alien vs. Predator. The new members of the Ducks included Julie the Cat Gaffney, number six, who was played by Columbia Jacobson. Now, she's been in Rookie of the Year, Men in Black 2, uh, Descent, Moonlight Mile, and Living Wake. However... For the last 18 years of her life, she has made her living as a sous chef. <laughs> Wouldn't have called that, would you? Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> That's uh, pretty out there. Uh, Dean Portman, number 21, who was the other half of the Bash Brothers, opposite of uh, 
Fulton Reed, was played by Aaron Lohr. Now, Aaron Lohr was in Newsies, Rent, and he provided Max's singing voice in a Goofy movie. TV-wise, he was in Bussin' in Love, Peter Pan and the Pirates, and he's probably best known now for being married to Adina Menzel, who portrays Elsa in the Frozen franchise. Dwayne Robertson, number seven, was played by Ty O'Neill. His only movie roles that you'll recognize him from are going to be in The Postman, he was in Wild Wild West, and he was in American Outlaws. That's the one that had the lasso that would... Well, yeah. The, yeah. Russ Tyler, number four, 56, Keenan Thompson. You remember how I said that Joshua Jackson was possibly the second most prolific one out of the group? Well, it's a distant second with Keenan Thompson, because Keenan Thompson was in Heavyweights, Good Burger, Rocky and Bullwinkle, Big Fat Liar, Fat Albert, Stan Helsing, uh, Home Sweet Home Alone, Clifford the Big Red Dog, and as far as television goes, he was on all that for... I think five years. He was in Keenan and Kel for the four-year run that had. And he is now the longest tenured cast member in Saturday Night Live history, having been on Saturday Night Live for over 20 years at this point. I love Keenan. Uh, oh, he's freaking hilarious. Yeah. Now, side uh, side note on that, the knuckle puck is bullshit. It, it is not as good as that film tried to make it out to be. Look, look let, let's... If we're going to pick a part... We're not. We'll, this will be a multiple hour <laughs> thing stump, if we do the the game plans and the thing like just everything wrong with how they play the game and just complete disregard for the actual rules of hockey and all that. The movie's unwatchable. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> a, a thousand percent. So we're gonna move on with the rest of the cast. We're almost done. Luis Mendoza, number twenty two, was played by Mike Vitar. That's the guy that couldn't stop. Uh, he was in Diplomatic Community and Sunset Grill. However, he is without doubt best known for playing Benny the Jet Rodriguez in The Sandlot. The character of Gunnar Stahl, which is the Icelandic captain, also portrayed the goalie uh, whose nickname was Scooter in Part 3. It's played by Scott White. Scott White was in The Rocker, Dark Horse, and Lamb for Time 14. TV-wise, he's been in City Guys, Just uh, just Shoot Me, and The Garfield Show. Coach O'Ryan, who became their new coach in the third movie, was played by Jeff Nordling, who was in Flicka, Surfer Dude, and Tron Legacy. However, he has been on many, many TV series. Uh, I, I would be here for a while listing all of them. The big ones, he was in Nashville and in Big Little Lies. The big, the bully enforcer character for the Warriors in that in that game, in that movie rather, Cole was played by Michael Cudlitz. Michael Cudlitz's first film role was actually dragging the Bruce Lee story. He was a college student in that, so the fact that he was playing a high school student <laughs> in D3... But he was also in Gross Point Blank and Driven. However, television-wise, he's probably best known for 24, A Brief Role in The Walking Dead, and what I recognize him for the most, Band of Brothers. Peter Mark, who was uh, a character in the first movie that did not appear again, uh, his role was largely given to the Dean Portman character in the movies. However, in the novelizations, he actually shows up in the third novelization. He plays for the Warriors varsity team, and he's bitter because he felt like the Ducks left him behind, and he had to scrounge and claw his way playing peewee hockey and doing everything else to get to where he got some recognition. He's angry because he's like, I was just as much a duck as the rest of you, and I didn't get that attention like you did. I didn't get to play for Team USA. I didn't get to do go all across the country with you guys. I had to do this on my own. I don't know why they didn't do that in the movie, because it would have been a compelling thing to have in the movie. Yeah, it really would have. But. Now, as far as the cameos in this film, in the film franchise, rather, 
uh, apart from Christy Yamaguchi, Greg Luganis, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, they had a lot of hockey players show up in this. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, of course, Chris Shelios, Luke Robitaille, Cam Neely, and Paul Correa, who was the captain of the Anaheim Mighty Ducks at the time, and probably the most well-known player from that franchise. And he actually played with the Ducks when they finally won their Stanley Cup. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, Heidi Kling played Charlie's mother in one and three. From what I can find, that's pretty much all she's ever done. She wasn't an actress. She just did the role because it was something to do. Now, there's not a whole lot of production notes on these films. Uh, they're 30-year-old Disney movies that would have, if they had came out a decade later, would have been Disney Channel movies. There's no two ways about it. No, they, they would have been direct to TV. 100%. <laughs> uh, the first film was filmed on location in Minneapolis. Um, funny enough, the character of Charlie was actually not originally offered to Joshua Jackson. It was offered to Jake Gyllenhaal. That could, that would have been a little different. Yep. He, uh, <laughs> he turned it down because he didn't think that a peewee hockey movie really suited him. I don't necessarily disagree with him. I think his career has worked out just fine without it. Yeah. Also, uh, Emilio Estevez was cast because they loved his work in the Brat Pack movies. It's important to note that he played a jock bully in every single Brat Pack movie he was in. So the fact they wanted him to be the coach, and he does have some bullying moments as that coach. He sure does. And while they did have to teach the principal cast how to skate for any scenes where you could see their faces while they were on the ice, most of the time they were played by doubles. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, the second movie, Russia was originally going to be the big enemy. However, Disney had plans on making a film about the miracle on ice. They felt that making like a kid's USA team have to go up against a kid's Russian team would have been too derivative of that and would have potentially hurt the very real story behind that. So they decided to change it to Iceland instead because Iceland's youth hockey and professional hockey is also held in fairly high regard. Even though, like, before we started recording, you and I talked about anyone who's very familiar with the whole miracle on ice and all of that, like, would pick up... Just about immediately, like, oh, this is a Disney kids version of The Miracle on Ice. And in case anyone was wondering, I personally consider The Miracle on Ice to be the greatest moment in sports history. And if you're not very familiar with The Miracle on Ice, get familiar with it. Look it up. Watch the movie Miracle. It's a fantastic movie with Kurt Russell. Um, I eventually plan on covering that. Yeah, I have planned on covering that for a while. So, yeah, if you're again, if you're not familiar with the 1980 Miracle on Ice, Team USA, Olympic hockey team. Look it up. And, you know, I, I know we have a movie series to talk about here, but I just want to uh, pause for a moment to talk about how it's unfortunate that people don't think of hockey right off the bat when they think for sports. Because everybody likes to say this person is the Michael Jordan of this, or he is the Michael Jordan of that. And it's like there's a genuine argument that it actually should be Michael Jordan was the Wayne Gretzky of the NBA. I mean, Wayne Gretzky's statistical dominance is baffling if you look at it. Very much so. Like, if, if you were to remove the points scored out of his career, he still would have held the record for most points due to his assists. That's insanity. Yeah. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky was no joke. Like, <laughs> like, that would be like if you took away every single touchdown that Peyton Manning scored in his career... 
but he still had a lead on points because of all the times that he would hand the ball off to the receiver. Or to the, the running back, rather. Like, it's 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 baffling, but I can I can rave about that. Let's let's move on a little bit. Now, the final game in the second movie was the first ever event to take place at Arrowhead Pond. They had 15,000 people, extras, show up for that. However, this was a multi-day shoot. And because of that, necessitating the change, because people were going to be coming in different clothes, people would lose interest and whatnot, they had to get a bunch of cardboard stand-ins of members of the crowd that looked the same, and they had to pay these people for the likeness to use those cardboard cutouts. The third film was originally going to be much darker in tone, if you can believe that. Uh, The final rival team was actually supposed to be Bulgaria. It would have involved the Ducks traveling internationally to play, and the Adam Banks character was supposed to die like in the second or third game shown against Bulgaria. Essentially, it was going to be a uh, Apollo Creed kind of <laughs> yeah kind of thing. And the actor that played Jesse Hall left the project because his character had been so severely scaled back that if he had been in the third film, whether it would have been the darker one or the one we got. He had three total lines, no individual screen time, and essentially would have been a background character. Which is wild because up until the third movie when they mysteriously and randomly made Charlie the best fucking player on the team, Jesse and Adam were the best players on the team. Like, by a pretty significant margin. Like, it it makes no sense to me that Charlie went from marginal... To slightly to the less point marginal. that he wasn't even necessary in the final game of D2. To <laughs> being the captain of the team and being their leader and being their best. Like, the only, the only thing I can think of as to why they did that was because Joshua Jackson's profile was rising because of his TV commitments that he had. They ended up changing the concept of it to what we eventually got because they felt that they were straying a little too far from what made the Mighty Ducks enjoyable to begin with and uh, decided that because there are a lot of northern and northeastern prep schools that utilize youth hockey as their sport instead of football like we let's just go ahead and use that and we'll go from that each film took 30 days to film edit and score and become and get ready for screening. I can believe that. Like mm-hmm. they they included, honest to God, cartoon sound effects at times in these films. Oh, they're very ridiculous at times. <laughs> like I mean, like uh, but I enjoy them nonetheless. You know what I mean? Like it's still a very it's something I have a very fond memory of. The first film was released on October 2nd, 1992. Again, it grossed $50.8 million, and it became a surprise hit. Audiences, particularly the families, enjoyed the show as friendly and fun for smaller kids. It wasn't anything to like try and like wrap your brain around, things like that. And it just generally was considered good, harmless fun. Now, critics were like, they were lukewarm. They felt it had a lot of feel-good aspects to it, but that it was too predictable. Now, Roger Ebert did give the film two stars and felt it was best served as, you know, appeal for younger children. I'd say that's about right. 
it did its job. Number two was released March 25th of 1994. It pulled in $10.4 million on its opening weekend and pulled in a total of $45.7 million throughout its theatrical run. Audiences, once again, enjoyed the film. They felt that certain gags and moments were a little too contrived at times. It's a little far-fetched. There, there are some moments in D2 that's very, very far-fetched. Uh, namely, one, one of the... Pro- to, like I can't, I can't do it. Like to to watch this part and just the cringe of it alone. Is it the part where dude comes out of the, the goalie's net and it's and he's given the actual like other? And it's no, Russ Tyler. No, it's not that. Like I actually don't mind that too terribly. It's. I mean, there uh, is a precedent for for teams pulling goalies. It's so. homeboy hopping up off the bench with a lasso. Yeah. Like yeah, that was it, a bit it's much. Just, it's just like. <laughs> like, I like can't. that. <laughs> I, I, what did he get? Two minutes for roping was what they called it. Something like that. Something like, yeah, stupid. It, you know, in Bombay, you know, we did get a good line. You know, he's like, you know, Bombay's like, this isn't a hockey game; it's a circus. Yeah, which was <laughs> like, <pretty good. laughs> and uh, what was another? Like when they're playing street hockey, and one of them hits the damn puck, and it goes over the fence and shatters the guy winching. Like, hey, a little help, and he's just kind of like, oh, you kids, and throws it. No, no, no. No, no, If, you, no, if no, your no. street puck shatters my window, we're going to have something we're going to have to deal yeah, with. Like, like, I love hockey. And I'm all for kids starting to play hockey, like, in their, you know, spare time to keep them out from getting in trouble or anything like that. Like, I'm all for it. But, yeah, if I'm ever driving by and all of a sudden a freaking puck just slams into my windshield or something, hey, you mind giving us the puck back? Well, I'm going to give you more than that back. Kid. Yeah. <laughs> or like in the first movie, Fulton can't skate. He can hit the hell out of the puck. If he cannot skate, that would not have translated. No. Because <laughs> he would not have been able to balance on the skates. He would not have been able to get no. the impact on. Like, it would not have worked. So, yeah, some things were felt to be contrived. Critics were far less lukewarm for this film. They felt that it was extraordinarily low, even by Disney sequel standards, was what they said. And that's pretty bad. They felt it was almost like, you know how they would have army commercials during Saturday morning cartoons where they would have, it seemed like this one like amazing thing to like draw the youth in kind of thing. They felt they did the same thing with Mighty Ducks too. It's like, it's too friggin' jingoistic and rah-rah American pride. It's like, these are seven and eight-year-old kids that this film is targeted towards. That's a, that's a bit much. They also felt that a lot of the jokes were stale and that the morality that was inserted into the film was false like it was just a, a fake mor- sense of moral outrage at times i'm not gonna lie there there you know th- as far as the jokes being stale there's one joke that's e- even if i go another 30 years without watching that movie this joke has always stuck with me and that's whenever they uh the players keep scoring against goldberg and homeboy up in the stands goes hey goldberg i bet if that puck was a cheeseburger you'd catch it <laughs> yeah yeah I, I know i know exactly what you're talking about and like also, it makes no sense that Goldberg would have stayed their starting goalie with how good the cat was. Well, she gets out there for one play. They they fixed that in. Yeah, they moved Goldberg D3. to a defense play, uh, position <laughs> instead. Huh. Now comes time to the third film, released October fourth, nineteen ninety six. It debuted at number four on the box office. It grossed a total of $22.9 million. It was the lowest grossing film of the trilogy, and it was felt that the audience interest had completely waned. Critics 
called this movie awful, lazy, childish, unfunny, assault to the senses. Gene Siskel said this may be the stupidest film I have ever seen in my life. Critics can be just so overly harsh at times. Like, you know what I mean? Like, is it good? Not really. Like, I have some, you know, some memories of it, some fond memories of it. I do enjoy D3 and all of that kind of stuff. But to hear critics say stuff like that is just like, how long have you been a movie critic? Right. Because I cannot, there's not a notebook that I could fill up with movies I've seen that are worse than D3, The Mighty Ducks. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I watched one last night with Ian. We watched a movie called Dagon. It's a Spanish horror film take off of the H.P. Lovecraft story from the 20s. Oh, I've never heard of that. This movie was bad. It was made in the 20s? No, the movie was made in 2001. Oh, okay. the, book, the book it's based on was made in, in the 20s. Okay. This movie was bad. Okay. This movie was real bad. My bad, huh? Like... So bad that they thought it was good as they were making it bad. The only good... Well, they had faith in it. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> the only good thing in this film was the practical effects when a dude got his face flayed while he was alive. They did a fantastic job with that. That is where 98% of the budget for this film had to have gone. But I'm getting off track. Uh, the first movie did get some good recognition. Uh, it was recognized from the American Film Institute and nominated for both feel-good films and kids' sports movies. Two was scored the ninth worst film of 1994 by multiple critic aspects. Now, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. I did not look and see what the movies that were worse than it were. However, three was considered to be the lowest of low films and, again, was considered the worst film of the year, and quite possibly the worst film that Disney had produced by certain critics. Disney's done worse than D3. Like, I laugh whenever dude gets freaking lassoed. He's like, they got horses! <laughs> That's funny to me. <laughs> the franchise is now considered to be more of a cult classic. Um, it led to an animated show about anthropomorphic alien ducks who are stuck in Anaheim and play hockey. Because they were forced to leave their dimension. For any of you Gargoyles fans out there, it's basically a duck version of Gargoyles. They've crossed over with the Gargoyles in the comics. Like, I freaking love Mighty Ducks. Oh, yeah. The animated series. Oh, I yeah. I freaking love it. I had all the toys. Like, yes! Nosedive, Grin. Who was your favorite? Who was your favorite duck? Probably Grin. Although I did like Nosedive. I liked uh, Wild Wing. Yeah. What about and, a and Duke even Laurent? Though, even though he was very, very brief, I really liked Kennard. So they were originally planning on bringing Kennard back, but the, yeah, the series, series got canceled before they could. Duke uh, like, Laurent, like, like who is just a damn takeoff of Duck a la Orange, which is a freaking meal. That kills me. <laughs> uh, no, it, it also spawned a live-action legacy series called Game Changers on Disney+. Plus. I have yet to watch a single I episode. watched it. It's not terrible. I'd say it's closer to two than it is to one on the, the cornball factor. The best thing that they did was when some of the old ducks returned in one of the episodes. The only duck that has not returned yet has been Joshua Jackson, but that's been because of scheduling issues and COVID-related issues. He wants to come back. He wants to reprise his role. The idea is they want to have him be like the coach for the Anaheim Ducks. 
and to be like he had the most success out of all of them, and that he's forced to come back and coach the the game changers, as it were, because Emilio Estevez is not coming back for another season. Oh, he's done. Oh, yeah. Okay. However, the most enduring thing that this film franchise spawned was absolutely the NHL team. Oh yeah, absolutely. Due it's to still the, around due to the sheer success of the first film, the Walt Disney Company looked into founding a hockey team. They paid the $50 million entrance fee up front to the NHL and built a new stadium within walking distance to Disneyland to get this franchise and team off the ground. Its initial season had a record of 33 wins, 46 losses, and 5 draws, which at the time was the record-breaking number of wins for an expansion team in their first season. That is now held by the Las Vegas Golden Knights, who in their first season went to the Stanley Cup. That's not a record that's going to be broken, folks. They lost in Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Final. Like So in order for another team to do better, there, there's only two teams that can do better than the Vegas Golden Knights. Either one, go to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final and lose, or go to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final and win. Like not gonna happen. That's that's it. That's the only two scenarios that an opening team can dethrone the the Vegas Golden Knights. It, it ain't gonna happen. Like the 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 Knights had, they captured a lightning in a bottle their first season. Well, I think it was one of those deals to where like, um, and I think you and I would text about this. Like it was full of a bunch of players that the team felt like they could do. They, they had been with certain teams for so long. I mean, some of them had been with certain teams for fifteen, twenty years. How long was Flurry with the Penguins? Like 20. Yeah. Something like that. And so whenever it was basically like, okay, we're going to put you up to where you can be drafted. And then they got drafted. And so like the, the whole team kind of formed as a unit to where it's basically like, oh, they say that they don't need us, that we're not good enough for them. Okay, that's fine. We'll show them. Yeah. And they go to freaking game six of the Stanley Cup final. If, like, they, if they would have won it. If they would have won it. That would have been the single most successful opening season of any sport team ever. Ever. Like ever, it, you can no still technically make that same argument for them, no matter what the sport is. Like, <laughs> twenty-seven of the forty-one home games were sellouts. They had a ninety-eight point nine percent season capacity. They were number one in merch sales throughout the league. However, Mighty Ducks merchandise was sold at Disneyland. That probably had a big part that in that. That absolutely helps. Like <laughs> They were sold to a consortium in 2005 and renamed simply the Ducks. They went on to win a Stanley Cup that season. If Disney would have held out for one more year with that franchise, the Walt Disney Mighty Anaheim Mighty Ducks would have won a Stanley Cup. Yep. But unfortunately, as it stands now, technically... The Anaheim Mighty Ducks never won a Stanley Cup. Nope. The Anaheim the Ducks. The Anaheim did. Ducks won a Stanley Cup. And they changed because their, it was a rebranding on the team. They changed their mascot. They changed their logo. They changed their... Like, I mean, it's still a duck, but they changed everything about it. Yeah. Because that, that white duck goalie mask is the most badass mascot. It's one of the most iconic images, like, in sports. Yeah. Like, I, I don't... I would be hard-pressed to find somebody just to show them... That logo of the duck, white mask, with the two hockey sticks, you know, and purple background and all that kind of stuff, and be like, "Hey, do you know what this is?" Oh yeah, it's the Mighty Ducks. Like, oh, oh, you're a hockey fan? No, 
but I know what that is. <laughs> some, some people decide that that will be their hockey team they want to watch because they're Disney adults, which is all right. I, I, I'm, I'm going to withhold my comments yeah. that I have on Disney adults. Yeah. So. Like, I have been a fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs since I was seven years old. They have not won jack shit during that time period. I have been a fan of the Dallas Cowboys since I was six years old. They have not won jack shit since I have been a fan. I have been a fan of the TCU Horn Frogs for virtually my entire life. They got their ass handed to them by the end of the first quarter in their national title game. Like it would, it should have been, it should have been a mercy call at halftime. I'm not going to lie. I wasn't watching the game because I didn't get the channel. Uh, I think it was on ESPN. And I don't, 65 I don't, to 7. I don't, I don't get just regular uh, ESPN. But 65 to 7. You know, like, I got your initial text whenever you said, like, oh, it's 714 or something or like that. And then I didn't get another text from you in like an hour. And me and Emily was watching a movie and I was just like, I think something bad's happening. <laughs> and she said, why? And I was like, Chris has been eerily silent about this championship game. And so, like, I got on, uh, got online. I was like, I wonder how they're doing. And looked in, like, at the time, it was like 35 to 7. Or, and I was like, Ugh. And it just kept. It got worse. Yeah. And, it got so much worse. And so, you know, I have not brought it up to you since then because I know it can be a sore subject. <laughs> like, it's right. I know what it's like. I've, made, I've made the peace with it. I know what it's like when your champion, whenever your team goes to the national championship and gets schooled. Uh, it happened to. I'm a Notre Dame fan when it comes to college ball. I like and, Notre Dame too. Uh, the last, so I like Notre Dame as well. And uh, the last time they went to the national championship was against none other than Alabama, and Alabama beat the brakes off of <laughs> my my Irish, and it was. But I will tell anybody. Like, I know, and I'm not saying anything against you, but like, like when it comes to sports and all that, unfortunately, a lot of times whenever you're an independent school like Notre Dame and all of that, like, I'll sit there and tell anybody, like, I mean, I pretty much tell you every season, like, they'll post a schedule and I'm like, hey, this is uh, who, who all they're playing. I think it's going to be a good season. And then I'll send you that one team that I'm like, they're playing one SEC team this year. And that's going to be bad. (laughs) What's funny, though, is the joke's on everybody else. Because my number two college team has always been the Georgia Bulldogs. So I was upset the TCU got shellacked the way they did. But I wasn't terribly upset because I'm like, "Eh, my team still won. Real quick before we end this, uh, some things that all three of the Mighty Ducks movies had in common. Every single opposing team they played was all male. They were all physically larger than them and more athletic and stronger than them. All three... Climaxes, the final game, they won by exactly one point every single time. And, uh, yeah. So there, there, there was, uh, there was definitely a formula that they followed. So much so that whenever D3 was initially out and, uh, me, my brother, my mom, we were watching, um, we were all watching it. And it came time for the final game and she pretty much was kind of like, uh, I'm going to bed. You know, it was around that time whenever, like, it was doing its first airing on TV or something, you know. And so it's like, she's like, oh, I'm going to bed and all that. And I remember saying something to her. I'm like, like, it's right here at the end. Like, you're not going to know what happens or whatever. And she said the same thing that happened in the other two. I bet they win by one point. And then she just walked to the back. 
And my mama don't give no more. She <laughs> she knows enough about hockey to say that's hockey. Like <laughs> you know, that's it. <laughs> One thing that always stuck in my craw: if my team ever, ever was ahead eight to nothing, and then proceeded to go to an eight-eight tie in just the third period, that whole team needs to be. Shelf gone, you guys. How do you screw up that badly? Yeah, but no, that's that's the Mighty Ducks again. It, it's a franchise that holds a special place in my heart, and I believe in yours as well to an extent. In that, you know, it's it's one of the few hockey-related media we get outside of like Goon or Slapshot, things like that. Well, I'm not a fan of Slapshot. The only I, thing I that Slapshot gave me that I like is they gave me the Dudley Boys. I, I don't care what anybody says about Slapshot. I know a lot of people try to put it into the argument of like the greatest uh, hockey movie of all time and I, I physically want to harm people that <laughs> say that. It, it To me, it's um, it comes down to Miracle being mm-hmm. number one and I would say a very close second is uh, Mystery Alaska. Okay. I freaking love Mystery Alaska. That's another hockey film for those of you yeah. that... <laughs> but yeah, this was Mighty Ducks. Um... If you've never seen the animated series, at least check that out on Disney+. Plus. Uh, if you've never seen the movies, I mean, they're not long. They, they go by fairly quickly. They're they're enjoyable for your, what they are. Your, just, kid, your kids will like them, at least. Yeah, just just go into it with an attitude of, I'm not expecting Shakespeare, and you'll be fine. No. So, But this was Mighty Ducks. Uh, in two weeks, I'm going to be back with another episode. I'm not 100% certain what I'm covering. I will announce it a little bit before it happens. I think... I know what it's going to be, and if it's what I'm thinking I'm going to use, you're going to end up wanting to be on that as well. But we'll uh, we'll see the closer we get to it. I am going to try not to take multiple month-long breaks again for a while, if I can. Just kind of bear with me, guys. Um, but I am Kid Kong. I will see you at the movies.